Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis. With attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your Head. With attitude, bitch. June 1st, 2020. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Chair Shot Radio Network's Reaction. I'm your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, is a Down Since Day One co-host, Tony Acero. What up? It's becoming a pattern, Tony. Well, but sometimes there are things that we just can't escape discussing on the show. You're much, much more gifted at words. And if you haven't read Tony's thoughts, I suggest you guys check out his Facebook page in order to present on the whole situation. But I, I feel it necessary to take too much to the world. There's a reason I entitled this episode to talk about it. Because I genuinely believe the discourse that having a real conversation with the I'm not talking about the illness that so often still affordable that people need to be aware of. I take you back to what we talked about last week though the show with the death well, Harry, first I gotta and tell you that you sound like shit. You, you sound like shit. Harry, can you hear me? And Tony. Okay. See, you sound way better now. <laughs> the following was posted by Mustafa Ali. I am a former police officer. I joined the force because the only real way to bring change to policing is from within. I remember being told empathy will get you killed, 
No, a lack of empathy allows you to kill. We have to change policing from within. Hashtag George Floyd. And like always, there's going to be some comment about you were part of the problem. No, I saw the problem and I did something to combat it. Countless times I showed up and put a stop to any sort of harassment, excessive force. You can't change anything behind the screen. The point of all this is simple. Society, and specifically our African-American brothers and sisters, have a justifiable distrust with the police. It is the responsibility of the police to fix that issue, but they won't. Thus, it is on us as a society to force that change from within. Mustafa is 100% correct, or Adele, because obviously he wasn't Mustafa when he was a police officer. It's up to us as a society to hold people justifiable for their actions. It is up to us as a society to be better than we were yesterday. It is up to us as a society to protest injustice where we find it and do what we can as a culture to fix it. I'm obviously not black. Anybody who's seen me on Facebook, what? I'm not black. I stand with the members, the men and women of the black community right now as they protest these injustices of the people with their culture. I want their voices heard. And I want something to be done about these... I want something to be done about these, these injustices against the human race, not just specifically those of the African-American society, but of all other societies as well. The actions of ICE employees against detained immigrants at facilities, the way that people abuse their powers inside of our prison systems as well, in order to make a change, we have to be the change. In order to start that, though, we have to listen to the problem and let the people speak. Tony, I want to get your thoughts here before we move on to the second part of this conversation. Well, my thoughts are going to be short and succinct, mainly because this you is not a political... It's not exactly... We yeah. talked about the fact that you live in a small town outside of Los Angeles spending time on the show the home of the original Rodney King riots, the home of the original Rodney King police brutality situation. Now, let's talk about the whole situation. Um, Do you think well, that we've come anywhere from how things were then to where they are now? I feel like, well, first of all, can you hear me? Harry? Tony. Tony's unfortunately chosen this particular time to lose his signal. That's unfortunate. Hopefully he calls right back here because this is a conversation. Okay, there he is right now. Tony, are you with me? Hello, Harry. Can you, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Go ahead, man. Okay, good. Uh, I mean, I'm going to keep it short. This is definitely not a political podcast. And admittedly, to ask whether 
we've made any progress between Rodney King and now, I feel is a loaded question. It's also unfair to um, an entire community, entire an entire race. I mean, asking if we have gotten better from then till now is like, you know, asking if I got new socks. Like it's it just it does it's irrelevant realistically um, as far as progress because at the same time people are dying. Um, I will say this: we do have a platform, and whether we have ten listeners or ten thousand listeners, realistically. Everybody has different political views, different reasonings for listening, for doing, for acting. Um, At the end of the day, if I can make the most blanketed statement that hopefully has an impact, when you look at another human being, if you don't see another human being, you're doing it wrong. Literally, that's at the end of the day, when you strip every single possible materialistic thing away from everyone and you're standing there butt-ass naked and you look across from you and there's someone else butt-ass naked, you're both human. And if the only thing that differentiates you two is color and that's something that you're going to utilize, you're just not human. You're just not. So, I mean, we can talk for hours about reasoning, about just cause, about cause and effect, about who's right and about who's wrong. And I promise you guys, if anyone that's listening wants to know my actual thoughts, I am going off on Twitter at TonyAcero411. My Facebook is my name. My Instagram is my name. I hide nothing. I have strong opinions, but I'm also very, very willing to have a conversation. However, don't be afraid to be proven wrong because you most likely will be. In terms of the podcast and what we have here, I want the message to be very, very loud and clear. I love every single race. But tonight, I love my black brothers just a little bit more. I don't believe what I see, a man who can't breathe. And now my country is bleeding because its people are seething. Violence leads to violence hoping to break the silence. But silence isn't the choice. To protest is to voice. And that's the other part of the situation that I wanted to touch on real quick here. I want to make it perfectly clear that I am absolutely 100% undeniably in the corner of those who are protesting what happened to George Floyd. It was completely wrong He was murdered by Officer Chauvin. There is no denying that. However, if you are one of the people in these cities that is taking advantage of these protests in order to burn buildings, in order to destroy businesses, in order to advance your own materialistic gains, you are a trash human being. There are people out there who are using this uprising, political uprising, to their own benefit and causing destruction to property over reasons that have nothing to do with what happened to George Floyd. Pictures of people of every race going into stores and stealing stuff from those stores. Awful. You're killing your message by doing that if you are part of the message to begin with. I am in favor of protesting. I am absolutely 100% against the rioting and the looting. Tony? 
Yeah, one can't properly differentiate the entirety of a group and say who's right and who's wrong because everybody's so mixed. Um, one thing I would ask everyone to do is ask what the cause was. Um, what could we have done to prevent this? If you look at history and you look at rioting and you look at uh, protests, it is very cyclical and very predictable. If you're smart, you knew this was going to happen. I'm not saying it's a risk that was willing to be taken. However, you knew it was coming. Okay, and it only got here due to continuous oppression. So it's very, very hard for me to dictate who's absolutely right and absolutely wrong when idealistically it all could have been prevented, everything. Every single time there's a protest, there will inevitably be a small group of people at the coattails of this to take advantage of it, whether it be looting or rioting, whether it be taking it to the extreme on one end or the other. And you could see it just a couple of weeks ago with, you know, with COVID, maybe there wasn't active rioting and looting, but there was a lot of trouble going on. And there was a different, a different response to it as well. This is an escalation of a situation. So although it makes sense to condemn those that are simply going to steal property, it's very hard to focus on that argument at all when the cause is much more present and has much more importance. And this is coming from a person who runs a relatively small business, whose livelihood depends on this business surviving, who, you know, just yesterday pulled in all of the chairs to assure that no one threw them at my windows. That's me representing a building that if goes down, I too go down. The differences and the hard reality that I think a lot of people have to kind of face is that I can rebuild from. I cannot give a black man his life back. And I'm not disagreeing with that, Tony. 100% I'm not disagreeing that the murder of George Floyd is in any way less significant than what's happening to buildings. But I do believe that there is a part of the group that is doing a disservice to the message by taking it to the extremes that they are taking it to. Well, then I would ask you not to let it destroy the message, just like I would ask anybody else. We're more than, I'm more than willing to continue this conversation with you off air, but I feel like we spent enough time on our soapbox for this episode, and we should probably get to talking about some wrestling. Yeah, let's talk about fake stuff. <laughs> Uh, so for those of you who don't know, Tony and I actually do stay in touch during these episodes and kind of plan out a little bit of what we're going to do for the show here. And Tony, the opening to SmackDown pissed you off. <sighs> All right. So um, it's kind of weird transitioning from <laughs> such a serious topic to what they try to display as a serious topic. Uh, I mean, how do you want to look at Brian Angle? If, uh, you know, there's so many ways to look at it, and none of them come off well. If you look at it from a perspective of Jeff Hardy, the character, it's been done, and I'm tired of the redemption story because he's not redeemed. Uh, the person, I don't know him. I don't know his demons. I would never, ever, ever shun someone who has a disease such as addiction. But if you're going to put it in the public eye, you're going to get criticized. And if you keep getting DUIs, then the story that you're telling loses all of its weight. It's just, it's almost farcical at this point. And then when you look from the literal standpoint of performance, that entire segment was 
horribly done from the cops telling Renee Young she couldn't enter a crime scene but allowed the refs to take them in and Jamie Noble, um, from the cops smelling a bottle of beer that was completely closed, from the cops calling out Jeff Hardy's name like he won a prize, the invoice of the rental car just, you know, happens to be on the side, Braun Strowman suddenly giving a damn about anybody, um, even though he's a face, it just it came off as we're supposed So when you do this, you, you put this particular segment higher than um, the, the, the wrestler's in-ring story. So, for instance, let's just – that's when they stop. That's when we, I, it's when Michael Cole uses his Owen Hart voice, as I call it, where we're supposed to take this more seriously than everything else on the show. This is serious. Nothing else is. And if it is, it's not nearly as serious as this. I can't buy it. I can't because why would Braun care? Oh, he cares because this is more serious. He's the champion and blah, blah, blah. I just don't see Braun, the man, the one that, you know, talks about wrestlers unionizing and shit, caring about this. And if he did care about it, I'm pretty sure he'd probably flip a car. I don't know. That's what he does, right? Why wouldn't he try to help? Um, aside from that, you choose Elias, who unfortunately has to be the guy on the stretcher. It just, this whole thing was done really, really badly. And then you get to the match, and you get to Sheamus. Now, if in the event Sheamus did this, which I'm most likely leading to, we have to look at motivation and reward. His motivation was what? To get a possible opportunity to get an opportunity for the Intercontinental Championship? So he he framed a person in attempted vehicular manslaughter, DUI, and possibly ruined someone's life. His coworker, who, again, since we're supposed to believe this is in the realm of higher reality, actually matters, all to get a shot at a shot of the title. You're insulting the fuck out of my intelligence, and you know how much I love when they do that. Here's my thing, Tony. Like, I, I get that on a reality level, given that we're supposedly in the reality era, that this is kind of intelligence insulting. But if there's one thing wrestling loves, it's it's who it's it's who done it. Just saying that five times fast. I'm not saying that it was well executed. I'm not saying it was well done because it was clearly very sloppily executed. However, and I told you this when we talked about this on Friday night. I enjoy a good mystery. And at least they're trying something long-term here. Now, in the grand scheme of things, attempted vehicular homicide equals having a match against somebody does not equate to the real world. But this is wrestling, and we kind of have to leave some of our, suspe- uh, some of our disbelief at the door, don't we? Man, I love so much that we disagree here because it's awesome. No, actually, we don't have to leave it at the door. Not when you're telling me that this is more important than the rest of the show. Not only that, but you just said two things that did not fit here. You said long-term storytelling. That Jeff Hardy came out in the same fucking episode. How long did it take for Rikishi to admit that he hit Stone Cold? Which, admittedly, was a little cooler than what we saw here. I mean, he did do it for Duroc. Yeah, right. And, I mean, that didn't go over well either. I mean, I think we have a track record of vehicles and wrestling not always going the best best way possible. <clears throat> I popped Greg on I popped Greg on Chair Shot by quoting Conrad from the Steve Austin episode of Something to Wrestle. 
know what they did, Tony? They hit that motherfucker with a car. <laughs> I mean, in the same month where someone gets hit with a golf cart and it comes off as compelling television, and then you do this, it just it comes off as kind of just kind of dumb and a little a little tone deaf too. And then you go backstage and you see one of the Uso brothers, you know, just a part of the segment. It, it's almost like ah man, it man. <laughs> All right, well let's go ahead and transition into that backstage segment where Adam Pierce, now you know is conducting a survey of the roster of what to do with the spots that were apparently vacated into tonight's Intercontinental title tournament. And they end up settling on AJ Styles getting a bye and a battle royal to determine who will face Daniel Bryan in the other semifinal because Styles is a heel and Bryan is a babyface. Therefore, Bryan feels he has to keep earn his spot where Styles feels entitled. Okay, I'll, that's pretty lax with the AJ Styles thing. I'll be the first person to say that. That being said, I like battle. I'm a sucker for a battle royal. I mean, they're never really good matches, but I'm a sucker for a battle royal. <clears throat> so, in terms of character, both Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles played theirs perfectly correct. Um, so that that kind of didn't bother me at all. Bryan is the fighter, plucky, you know, somewhat underdog now, but. It, it, it falls in line with what he represents, and I really enjoyed those decisions that they made because oftentimes, including tonight, we get someone who just suddenly doesn't care about title shots, you know, because something happens. But AJ's like, I'm not, no, fuck that. I'm getting a buy, and I'm, I'm a chill. So it made sense, and it's perfect, and I like that. Battle Royals, I like them too, Harry. And you know what? We haven't been, we haven't had this show in a couple of weeks. Um, I've been watching something for a couple of weeks due to the untimely passing of Larry, rest in peace. I've had to pick up quite a few extra wrestling shows. Um, because of that, it has given me an opportunity to watch AEW on a consistent basis. And unfortunately for the WWE, it's similar to brushing your teeth with AEW and drinking the orange juice that is WWE. So although I try my hardest not to compare the two, when you have a battle royal immediately after one of the shows, the comparison is almost inevitable. So you look at AEW and you watch their battle royal and you see something. And what you see is storytelling from bell to bell. Every single thing that happens in the ring matters. Everything. Regardless of how small, such as Cutler and Avalon, because that's very small, it's on AEW Dark. Or how big, I, you know, the main story. Go ahead. I haven't watched this week's Dynamite yet, so I'm going to go ahead and take my headphones out while you explain this because I don't want spoilers. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, I, I can stop with that. I can just so that I don't spoil it. But suffice to say, AEW did a battle royale better than the WWE because everything mattered in the ring. When you go to tonight's, or tonight's SmackDown um, and their battle royale, Nothing mattered except for the winner. And even the winner didn't matter all that much. See, I'm going to disagree with that. Because I think there were a couple of different things set up during... I think there were a couple of different things set up during this Battle Royal, and one of which actually led to a match later on on this particular episode of SmackDown. Oh, who was that? I, uh, that would be Chad Gable. Hmm, that's weird. Never heard of him. 
Really? Could you call him Chad Gable in the SmackDown report? You know I did that for you. <laughs> I'd 100% believe that. Thank you. That and nobody else wants to use that stupid-ass name WWE gave him either. Anyway, um, I really enjoyed the interaction between Gable, Nakamura, and Cesaro, actually. I thought that there was that, that could be a very fun, like, beat storyline over for SmackDown there, where Cesaro and Nakamura take on Gable and a partner of Gable's choosing, whomever that happens to be. I mean, I know for a while they were kind of teaming Gable with the previously mentioned on tonight's episode, Mustafa Ali, but then Ali's been off of television now for, like, three months because I think that the, the belief is that he's going to be behind the hacker gimmick. Did, did you enjoy the? Did, okay, I was going to ask. Did you enjoy the Gable and Cesaro match here? And do you think that there's potential for Gable, Cesaro, Nakamura, and a partner for Gable's choosing going forward? Listen, Cesaro could wrestle for five hours, and I'm going to be entertained. And Gable's amazing. So yeah, the match itself was solid. Um, this is also coming from a person who admittedly has not watched SmackDown consistently for quite a while. Um, this is another assignment that I got from 411 that is now making me mandatorily watch. So I'm catching up with storylines. Kind of, It's kind of like starting anew, but you could still see the tropes of WWE writing, and Friday was no different. Friday was actually, to be honest with you, a little more different than the previous ones that I've seen, almost as if someone was missing or... You know, there wasn't a filter system that said, hey, this is ridiculous. You probably shouldn't do this. What are the odds of you continuing SmackDown any longer than you absolutely have to until Franks opens up again? Well, I think that's the main uh, decision-making. Um, we plan on opening on Thursday, but with curfews happening, you know, there's a, you know, um, there's a high with curfew that you guys will be yeah. open Friday night. Right. And, but as for the foreseeable future, um, I, I kind of told the higher ups that I could do it to like July. Um, cause you know, I'm not going to lose a Friday night where I make multiple hundreds of dollars just to make a few bucks for the sake of writing about wrestling. It doesn't seem like a very adult decision. I mean, if they're looking for somebody to give SmackDown a whirl, I'm willing to throw my name into the hat, I guess. Well, don't throw your name at me. I'm not the one. <laughs> yeah, me and me and Ashish haven't exactly got seen eye to eye in the past in terms of my writing style. So, regardless, um, the backstage segment between Gable and Cesaro, I want to bring that up real quick. How is it that uh, both of those guys got to show more personality in that three-minute backstage segment than they had in, like, six months prior? Well, you know, wrestling. It's nice to see. I mean, don't get me wrong. I wish the situation was different. I wish we were actually able to have shows where people could go to them and stuff. But at the same time, these intimate settings are working to the advantage of some of these guys who haven't exactly had the opportunities to showcase what they're capable of. Gable is a prime example here, but I think Cesaro's definitely stepped his game up ever since they've gone to the performance center format as well. And people are starting to I mean, realize just how good of a hand Cesaro is. I think they're just getting a little bit more freedom, you know? Um, I, I, I try to try to tell you a couple of weeks ago, like, this is... 
I feel like WWE Corona is like non-canon. So like you have a lot more freedom to experiment, to say off the cuff things. And for some people it works, for some people it doesn't. Cesaro strikes me as a hit or miss type of guy. Um, But when you don't talk a lot, you're probably going to get a lot more hits than you are misses. Speaking of misses, can we talk about Lacey and Sonya? Because I thought that was a pretty solid match, all things considered. It was only four minutes, but I was thoroughly impressed. That's actually up next, Tony, so go ahead. The floor is yours. Well, first let me say that they wasted a lot of money on an AR version of Lacey standing up for some reason. I don't. I, I still don't understand what the reasoning is for those. Um, these are two women who I think had absolutely nothing to start with and have become something different. I've been a very, very strong uh, opponent of Lacey's, you know, chances that she's been given because I don't find her character to be all that enthralling. Um, but over the past couple of weeks, she's gotten a little stronger in the ring, and this was a four-minute match where there was a story involved. And maybe that's why I liked it so much. It was literally two women trying to one-up one another as wrestlers, one with an MMA background, one with a Marine background, and not one was willing to budge. For me, that's literally all they needed. Let me give you an example of the exact opposite. Raw tonight, for whatever reason, was the Iconics was Nikki and Billy, and they 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 just had to show a small clip of them backstage screaming at each other for no reason. So when you see not only Sonya on SmackDown. Sorry, we have a little bit of a delay in our connection here. Not only screaming at each other, but like chicken fighting, you know? Like sissy fighting. Because bitches be crazy. And at least one storyline has to have the reality that women don't like women. So anyways, I mean, of course, that's, that's stretching it the means of, you know, my narrative on this podcast, but it's not untrue. Um, When you look at Lacey versus Sonya, those were two badass chicks, like, going at it, and I, in four minutes, they did way better than, I think, most of the show, to be honest with you, most of it. I do think that they put in a solid performance. I'm still not sold on Lacey as an in-ring character. Uh, do you think you have a little bit of a saucer bias here? Do you think that's part of the reason why you enjoyed this match as much as you did? I mean, you've you've spoken openly about it before. Uh, well, or is this one of those instances? And, um, or sorry, I, I enjoy Sonya. I enjoy I, yeah yeah I enjoy Sonya's work only because it's nice to see someone grow in such a small amount of time, you know. And I think that rainbow flag out of her pocket notwithstanding she has a full control of who her character is you know i was that thinking, really really appreciate that i was thinking about the next match on the show with uh sasha and alexa but let's get back to the uh sonya and lacey well, i was talking about this with one of my friends here and I, I think the person who may have stepped up the most since they've gone to the performance center setting is sonya deville like i could do without the association with dolph ziggler but otherwise, when Sonya's had an opportunity, more often than not, Sonya's knocked it out of the park. Well, to be fair, I don't think anybody can do without the association with Dolph Ziggler. That's fair. All right, so the reason I got confused is because the very next match, actually, is Sasha and Alexa. And I know that we've seen Sasha and Alexa before many times, but this is one of the first, the first time we've seen it in a while. 
We'll talk about um, – do you want to talk about the Moment of Bliss segment? There really wasn't much to it. That was another stupid segment. Uh, um, I mean, you don't say – you know, you don't have Nikki scream for coffee when the cups are very obviously empty. I'm just saying, you know, these are things that they're so small and they're nitpicky and I sound like an anal wrestling fan, but, like, you're better than that. Like, you're, you're, you're better than that. You know <laughs> It just takes me out of the moment completely. Like, that, it just, ugh, it was annoying. But when you move to the match, which was a five-star classic, honestly, just, Wait, wow, perfect. technical prowess. Before we move to the match in your continuation of the Sasha Banks ass-kissing tour 2020, um, mm-hmm. respect to Biggie and Kofi for the shout-out to Shad Gaspart. Don't know if you caught that or not. Yeah. So, respect to them. Yeah, now Kofi, we can talk even, about... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Good. All right. Moving moving on. No, even Kofi and Big E, as funny as they are, it just it's, it seems like everything is just so scripted. Ugh. Anyways, yeah, Sasha, put on a clinic. Man, amazing match. This girl can do no wrong. No, admittedly, <laughs> every what I like about this match is that everybody played their part really, really well. Nikki standing on the announce table screaming for her partner just makes sense. That's her best friend, and she's hyped, and I love it. And although Michael Cole is annoying, having her there just made the match all the better. Bailey is still, we're not really sure if she's fully manipulating Sasha or if she's just a bitch right now with her Karen haircut. We don't know, and I like not knowing. But there's, again, some consistency there. Realistically, the only thing that I didn't like, and it goes back to me being unnecessarily nitpicky, is why is Bailey doing the chicken dance to distract someone? That makes me feel like... They think they're at a house show, and that, that's a, there's a difference there because you're performing for the audience, right, when you're there, which means you could do silly stuff because you're kind of nudging them, you know, like, hey, guys, look at me. I'm going to distract them with a chicken dance. But when you're on TV, I would assume you're trying to tell a story, and that doesn't fit the Bailey character, you know. Also, Sasha, I love you, girl, and you're probably never going to hear this, but can you please stop talking with your entire body? She's done that since she came up onto the main roster. Hell, she did that when she was in NXT as well. It's kind of what she does, though. No, see, you have to understand. Heel Sasha moves at roughly three frames faster than face Sasha. But Thursday night, or SmackDown (laughs) Sasha, was just like, like someone sped her all the way up. She, like, did a full rotation. And I get it. I get that's who she is. It's one of the things I never really fully liked about the Sasha character. I loved it better when people were calling her a ratchet, but now it just comes off as a little bit hokey, you know? And I still, like, it just, yeah. You know, but she's, she's, right now she's doing a larger than life, you know? Like. <laughs> Legit pop me with that, Tony. Um, actually, you know what I really enjoyed during the course of this match, as good as the in-ring action was? I really enjoyed the interaction between Bailey and Nikki at the announce table with uh, Nikki standing up and cheering for Alexa the entire time and Bailey sitting there bitching about the fact that Nikki was causing the announce table to move and everything. Like, that was so in character for the new Bailey that I really enjoyed it. And in, then in a rare occasion, it didn't, it, it didn't take away from the match. It's so rare that they're capable of doing that. They didn't focus on just the – like, it didn't detract. 
And then you mentioned the chicken dance, and I kind of agree with you to an extent there. I get that Bailey wanted to distract Alexa while Alexa was going for Twisted Bliss. There were better ways to do that, I'm sure. Although I did like the finish of her putting uh, Nikki into the po- – or her pushing Nikki into Alexa, causing Alexa to get crossed, which led to the finish. Mm-hmm. And I think that, realistically speaking – with Bailey not having any kind of uh, challengers over on SmackDown right now, if they weren't doing the Iconics thing on Raw, I wouldn't be opposed to Nikki and uh, Alexa against uh, Sasha and Bailey for the uh, for the women's tag team titles at Backlash. Because you could kind of use that match well, as a springboard to get closer to um, you could use that match as a springboard to get closer to Bailey and Sasha at SummerSlam if that's still the game plan. Well, I'm pretty sure they're doing some variation of that. They're they're building Sasha and Bailey to face them, I think, this coming SmackDown. And the Iconics, of course, are going to get their shot. So, at the very least, we now have at least two contenders to titles that don't matter anyway. It's fast times at SmackDown High, Tony. <sighs> All right. Here we go. I didn't hate this segment. Real quick, real quick. Because um, I, I, you, you do this far better than I do, but I just want to get my thoughts out there for this. I didn't hate this segment, but at the same time, I thought that it was kind of stupid. Like, I get the insinuation well, you, behind it that Mandy's actually falling for Otis, and that's nice and all in theory. But realistically speaking here, when you're going to do these kind of parody segments and stuff, a lot of times they come off as just really poor imitations, and this one came off as a really poor imitation. So, I think the only reason why you like this particular segment even a little bit is because a hot blonde was half naked next to a chubby dude. What are you insinuating? And (laughs) So, um, no, this, what bugs me, among many other things, is that if, this was on the exact same episode of SmackDown where you asked me to believe in the opening segment wholeheartedly, that this was real, and that this was something that I needed to sit down and pause because shit just went down. And on the same show, you watch me watch a dream sequence, which shouldn't be possible, okay, um, at all just so that you can prove a point that has already been proven. What they're doing is they're saying, you know what? I bet the audience doesn't believe that a hot chick would be with a fat dude. So let's grind it into the ground. Let's drag it out so that they believe me. And you know what? Let's reference a movie that hasn't, you know, been referenced in the last 10 years because it's, it's time to bring that old hat back. Why the fuck not? The squirting lotion thing. Okay. Sure. Funny. Um, him, you know, ripping it off all the fast times, whatever. But it just wasn't necessary. And I've asked this t- many, many times before, if in the event you're creating something and you take a component out and what you're creating still stands, was that necessary? This was not necessary. So I'm not upset because Mandy looked pretty damn hot, even though the cameraman decided to edit uh, – well, that wouldn't be the cameraman. That would be the editor. But decided to cut just before, you know, the ass shot. But, you know, I've, we've, said, I've talked about Otis and Mandy. I love that they've had this time to create this story, and it's been able to breathe. And now that they're, the, they're together, we can have more fun with that. You don't need to prove it anymore. 
You don't need to prove the relationship well, anymore. So what was this segment for? It was a waste of time. Well, here's the thing to that effect, though, and this is something that I was thinking about while I was watching this particular segment here. Do you think the point of this was just to drive home that Mandy's just using this as kind of a manipulation before she attempts to hijack the briefcase from Otis? No, this was to prove to you that she really liked him. Like, they're trying to hammer it on. I, I don't think there's any foul play. You're also assuming see, I that think they plan that far ahead. That's fair, and admittedly so, but it, at the same time, I think it's a subterfuge. Not only that, you're making the woman out to be the evil character yet again. I'm not on some sexist high horse or did anything you like or that. Did you or did you not just it, say it, bitches be crazy earlier in this episode? Yeah, but that was me making fun of WWE constantly using that as a trope. I don't feel that way. I don't think women are like that at all. No, I'm much more I, interested in Lacey I, and Sonya trying to best themselves. Okay. okay, here's the thing, though. Under WWE's own line of thinking there, would it be that far-fetched to think that Mandy's being a manipulative bitch to Otis? I don't think that's the case. And if they do that, then that's just bad storytelling. Why would she go to this? these lengths to get a briefcase that he just won. What about before that? What was she trying to get then? Relevancy again? She hasn't really had any kind of... Well, she hadn't had any kind of major storyline advance on SmackDown. Here we go, Harry. You're writing the book for them. Okay, we'll move on. Uh, Matt Riddle, (laughs) yay or nay? Fuck it, why not? I will say this. Usually they just show the fuck up on the show. At least he got Kurt Angle to announce him. That has some uh, that has legitimate credibility almost immediately. Kurt co-signs this dude. Shit, let's see what's up. You watch AEW on Wednesdays. I'm an NXT guy. I always have been. So I watch NXT live and then I watch AEW on a delay. Uh, I actually got a chance to watch Riddle and Thatcher from NXT this week, and it was a really good match there. And I think that it was a nice way for Riddle to say goodbye to the to the black and yellow brand here. What do you think is Riddle's potential based on what you've seen out of Riddle so far? And I'm not just referring to what you've seen on him from NXT television. I know that you have a little bit of experience with him outside of the WWE as well through bar wrestling, correct? Yeah, we got high a couple times together. No big deal. I'd buy that. I'd totally buy that. <laughs> you know who um, Matt you know who Matt Riddle's favorite agent is, right? Brian Kendrick. Yeah. Um look, any wrestler that has talent can invariably make it. It's it's always, always, always with me gonna be about the writing. I don't I don't trust anybody in the WWE. So it's hard for me to decide to decide whether or not he's going to quote unquote make it. Like I said, attaching him to Kurt Angle, whether directly or indirectly, was a smart move because previous to that, you had people popping up out of nowhere for no reason and they didn't matter. Where's um Vink and whoever the fuck that was? Where'd they go? And uh, not that I want them back, but like. I have an answer for that. They have disappeared to the purgatory that is main event. They are Robert Lighty's problem on 411 Mania now. <laughs> Continue. 
Um, yeah, but like, so with Riddle, we are again. I'm repeating myself, but we have legitimacy. It's Kurt Angle. He's the shit, and he wrapped a match, and he saw something in him. So he's like, "Come to the big leagues, kid." And now we got that. And if he, if Kurt comes out with him, I mean, shit, that that's awesome too. You don't, you don't need to put a lot of effort into that because it's Kurt fucking Angle. Better than him just showing up one night and you know coming out there barefoot, having a squash match against nobody that lasts about a minute thirty, and then what? <laughs> Disappearing for three months like Bianca Belair has. Mm-hmm. Main event is the winner of the Battle Royal. Sheamus taking on Daniel Bryan. I actually really enjoyed this match. I, I put the storyline aside. These two actually do have really good chemistry against each other. Uh, the Jeff Hardy finish, I disagree with, obviously. Just because, like you said, if you were going to take the time in order to put any kind of development into this, you could have at least kept Hardy off of television for this week and then brought him back next week in order to get revenge on Sheamus for whatever happened here. You said yourself that you, the match was spectacular, but you hated the finish for the pretty much the same reason that I just mentioned there. Well, yeah, you know what I enjoyed the most about this match was the obvious callbacks and Sheamus, like, beating him brutally and saying he created the yes movement. And for once in a life, or for, for once in a lifetime, someone who says that actually has some merit. Like if it wasn't for me kicking your fucking head off, you wouldn't be this popular. So thank me, bitch. And you know, him, the, the match was solid. Brian was solid. Jeff running down, just, you know, I, I'm never going to buy into this particular storyline for Jeff Hardy because I've seen it one too many times. And all it's going to take is, you know, you know what? I'm not even going to go there. No, I don't. I just don't like it. I think that it's lazy. I think it's lazy. And no amount of permission, quote, unquote, from Jeff is going to help. And no promo about his redemption is going to help. It's lazy storytelling. It's art imitating life because why not? Um, and it's just not, it's not, and also Seamus, why would he care? Like, why, why would he go out of his way to do this, you know, for the, for the shot at the shot for the IC title? Nah, they wanted something shocking so that they can crash another car. I don't know. Maybe it was in their budget and they had to use it before the end of the month. Here's my problem with that. They don't even show Elias getting hit with the car in order to budget it. Well, they don't have the, they they, they don't have the skills for that. Did you see the bowling match tonight? Their camera work sucks. Okay, we'll we'll get to that in a few seconds here, but let's put a let's put a quick wrap here on SmackDown. All right. Um overall show rating for SmackDown while we're talking about it. Um I mean I don't know what I put in the report. I'm I'm gonna assume that I said seven because the action was actually really good and when you have a two hour show gave that's it more Okay. Well I'm gonna stick with that. But the action still was very good. And when you're in a two-hour show, the amount of action that you have that's good means way more than during a two-hour, a three-hour show. Yeah, I'm going to actually go with your original score that you tried to give it there with a seven there because despite the ridiculousness of some of the angles involved, and we'll talk about those ridiculous angles a little bit later on in our final reaction, the in-ring content carried this episode of SmackDown, and you know how I feel about episodes that are wrestling-heavy. All right, let's move over to tonight's episode of Monday Night Raw here. 
Um, we open with Seth Rollins attempting to retire for Rey Mysterio. He is interrupted by Aleister Black in order to set up their match. They go approximately 20 minutes with commercial breaks. And I just, I feel like this was a waste, having this match on free TV. I feel like if you could have given these two this, this, this stage right here that you gave them on pay-per-view, that it would have done a much greater service to a guy like Aleister Black in order to establish his name going forward. And he will get kind of that monkey off the back of Seth Rollins of him pretty much being having an underwhelming 2020 so far. I mean, to be fair, to be fair 2020 is very difficult to have a overwhelming um, career. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think Seth has been doing. I think Seth has been doing fine with his character. There are some inconsistencies that I can point out. Um, a good heel makes you know makes you believe that he believes in everything he believes. But Seth comes off one point ultra manipulative and, you know, not being full aware that he's not a messiah, but he's going to use it to the best of his abilities. And then he also comes off as a guy that actually does have that complex. I'm more interested in the guy that actually does have that complex. And the problem is you can't be both. So when he does things that come off as like, I'm fully in the know, but I'm going to run with this, it's cool until, you know, he has to come off with actual sermons and whatnot, I guess you could say. So, but those are so minor because Seth is such a good dipshit. Like, like he's a great man bun wearing douche with a single glove. So him trying to give Ray Ray's retirement speech is just on par. It just makes sense. And it's, it's kind of a dick move. Like, Let's just say Ray was going to retire. You're stripping that from him, and that's just, ooh, that's mean. So I didn't mind it. Uh, Black coming to Ray's safe, you know, it's still weird visually seeing, like, Humberto Carrillo and Aleister Black, like, care, but it's not offensive. It, it, it's fine. Um, well, you, to be fair, Tony, you get, thrown, you get thrown off a building together, you bond. Well, yeah, I mean, they shared six feet together, so I guess that makes sense. Um, the match, honestly, yeah, I I feel bad because it's hard to say like the match was average when you have Aleister Black and Seth Rollins because they're both really really good. The problem with WWE is they oversaturate the market with really good matches to the point where they come off as average. They're also very very predictable because WWE really really expands upon the idea of signature moves. So they get a couple of tussles in and then you're gonna see a sling blade, you know, and then you're going to see a blockbuster. You're going to see a Falcon arrow. And usually two guys who are really good at what they do can do that, but also tell a story. But since this is on raw and I don't think they deemed it all that important, there was no story in the first two thirds of the match, but that last third was pretty, pretty damn good. Well, let's talk about the post match here, because that's actually what I was most impressed by from out this entire encounter there with Seth Rollins, uh, kind of expounding upon his Messiah complex and with the way that he led his disciples in order to help him take out Humberto Carrillo and Aleister Black with uh, with, with blackout. Yeah, I think oftentimes the heels don't get enough um, actual evil to display. They're usually trumped by a face who's more of a dick than they are. Um, so seeing him come, go through with it is great. And no, this doesn't damage either Black or Roberto because Roberto has no clout, and Alistair Black will 
will survive this for sure. So I, I kind of liked it. It showed unity. It gave Seth a little bit more strength. Not to mention it sets us up for a run back possibly at Backlash where Alistair can actually black mask Seth Rollins' his head off and stand tall to put a finale to this once and for all. Yeah, it gives us another match at Backlash that, you know, we may need. So it, it's just that's the storytelling, I guess, 101 that I'm okay with because it's simple. Man, I love when they do simple shit. <laughs> uh, speaking of bitches be crazy, Tony... Apparently, Zelina and Charlie have heat. You know, I'm I'm on the fence with this one because that's his that's Angel Garza's character to be able to woo Charlie, and it's been consistent. The girl is still in him, so it's cute. But everything that has everything I've seen from Charlie up until this point has been very professional. And this kind of puts her into a position of, like, the doting female. But whatever. She's a part of the, the show, so, you know, might as well give her something to do other than interview and look great. Here, here's my problem with it, though, is you're setting up, the, like, an, you're almost setting up an angle between Zelina and Charlie that you can't really pay off here. Unless you're going to give Char, unless you're going to turn Charlie into something resembling a manager or something of some kind in order to have a somebody's face at Angel Garza led by Zelina Vega down the line. Yeah, they're not going to do that. I mean, it's, it, we've seen this before where they get announcers involved and everything, and usually it doesn't turn out well. I mean, the one time we got a match out of something, you know, we were remotely close was King versus Cole, and let's not go back to the archives of the raw reaction during that time period because holy shit... Did we actually, did we do a show? Or were we doing the show at this point? Probably not. We but if been. we did, I would hate Cole. I don't remember. Actually. I don't, I don't remember two years ago. <laughs> I don't remember two weeks ago. Don't feel bad. I don't. Do you like that Zelina's so protective of Garza? I think it fits her character. Um, yeah, I mean, regardless of I, what I don't want is I don't want Zelina to like them. It again doesn't coincide with which what we've seen her to be. It's almost like that's my property. Back the fuck up, and that's cool. yeah. That's kind of how I, that's kind of how I was looking at it. There is it's not so much that Zelina is jealous of Charlie getting Angel's attention. It's Zelina's pissed off that Charlie's taking Angel's eye off the ball. Yeah. Uh, swing and a miss for the hair on Zelina tonight. The outfit was banging, but the hair, I, I, I wasn't feeling the miniature Princess Leia hair bunch that Zelina had gone tonight. Yeah, well, she's a princess I'd Leia. Then again, I'm a 35-year-old white dude from Ohio, so what the fuck do I know about fashion? Hey, you know what? There's a lot of great wrestlers from Ohio. Don't worry. You know Ohio is for killers, so I've heard. Oh, man. Moving on. Shout out to Sammy Callahan. He's a guy that could have done so much. Indeed, moving on. Um, I genuinely popped when MVP put Lana in her place backstage. 
MVP has been absolutely killing this character. Okay, poor choice of words. Um, my point remains. No, yeah. I my mean, point remains the same. Yeah, there's not not much to say. I, I think Lana is best served off television permanently. Um, she's just not good at her job. I mean, if you're looking at it from a superstar, actor, wrestler, entertainer point of view, she's not good at any of those. And if you're looking at it from a kayfabe point of view of a wife and a manager, she's not good at that either. So she's kind of a waste of space. I'm sure as a human, as a person, she's great. And she locked in a contract, so you got to be proud of her. But realistically, it just doesn't do anything for me. John FW2 is not watching Raw, and he wants everybody to know. Yeah, he also likes attention, so I just wanted to give him that shout-out. Good for him. Moving on. U.S. title match. Uh, Apollo Crews defends in an open challenge against Kevin Owens. The twist on this open challenge is that Apollo is the one that gets the name as opponent. I actually kind of like this. I mean, the finish is... The finish is what you'd expect. It's a double it's a double disqualification or a no contest in this instance, I suppose, since the people involved were attacking both participants in the match. So we have a no contest finish here with the Andrade and Angel Garza getting involved with their respective opponents from last week. And then that turns this immediately into a tag team match, which I wasn't as fond of. However, I did want to talk about the US title open challenge here with Apollo getting the name as challengers. I kind of like that twist on the old, the old school U.S. Open, uh, the U.S. Title Open Challenge. What did you think of that? I mean, we'll see how long they do it. Uh, <laughs> um, open challenges, when done correctly, are actually really great. It's almost like a, a highlight of the show that you know is going to be good. When Cena was doing it, it was good in terms of wrestling, bad in terms of the reality that you knew nobody was going to win. But it's a nice way to uh, debut someone. It's a nice way to show Apollo, you know, Apollo's edge. It's a nice way to show his growth because I think inevitably we're going to see him turn. Um, and tonight even we saw, look, look, I don't know what bit Kevin Owens, but he treated that shit like a title match. He was pulling out the big guns. And it just came off as more important than, than what we've seen before. And I think that's what they actively tried to do with this title, uh, more so than the IC title over the past few years. Do you think there needs to be more of a focus on the secondary championships? There always needs to be a focus on the second, more of a focus. Yeah, they they suck at it. What did you think of the tag team match that followed the singles match? We, uh, I agree with you completely as far as the uh, the singles match goes there. You went three and a half there. I was actually a little bit even higher than that, but... Um, the tag team match I thought was kind of paint by numbers until the finish. Oh yeah, that was definitely a means to an end. It was it was pretty lazy. Um, so I, I my immediate reaction to it was why would Kevin Owens, after being given a title shot, can decide okay that's fine. You know what? I'm just going to team with Apollo to face you two because you interrupted. Um, upon further reflection, I realized that maybe he's upset, so why not try to beat the asses of these two and then get back to the title defense? But it just came, it, it just seemed a little bit too Teddy Longish for my liking. Um, so there wasn't a big, you know, I, I could have done without the tag team match. 
Bowling, Tony. Fucking bowling. Yep. I think that if we continue to go along with this, uh, there will be less and less for me to say. But I think a friend of mine might be listening who actually has been really liking these segments because they put a smile on his face, which, you know, I I can see that because there are certain aspects of it that are funny. But I just, I can't fall into it because it just, it doesn't work for me. How does smoke and lasers make you suddenly bowl better? Why are turkey legs randomly in the freezer? Uh, Does the bowling alley, did they shut down for them? Are we not in a COVID-like environment? Uh, Why is, what was the point of putting a bowling ball on your stomach as far as a tattoo? Why did Ivar have to be suddenly just the fat guy who likes to eat? Like, there's just so many questions that I just, and then the camera edits, literally, wow. Like, I, I know, I know high schoolers that could do better. It's unfortunate. Give these two teams 15 minutes of backlash in a tag team title match and I will be willing to forget these segments. I will not forgive them, but I will be willing to forget them. Mm-hmm. I would Let love these guys to have the ma- Let these guys have the match that they're capable of having, and I will extend an olive branch of goodwill towards the tag team division here, because if this is the best you got for the tag team division on Raw, then your tag team division on Raw is dead in the water. Yeah. Nikki Cross and Billy Kay in a singles match here. We go back. Obviously, we had the little hissy fight that we talked about a little bit earlier on the show when we were discussing the differences between the Raw and the SmackDown one and the here. But I thought the match itself actually wasn't bad, at least compared to what we've seen from these women before. I did like Billy. I did like Billy Kay bust, busting out the boyfriend stealer for the first time in the WWE that I can recall. Um, yeah, I was been, I had, I've been given that information that that's called the boyfriend killer. So that's very good to know. Um, won't be making that mistake again. Um, but, uh, relatively average match. Uh, I think what I said in the report is that, you know, I'm very happy that we have contenders at least. Um, I don't know. I, I love the Iconics. I don't think they're that great, but they're like infectious, you know, uh, it's like a scab you want to pick at. They're Annoying is all shit, like super annoying. But it's one of those things where you kind of appreciate it because you know what they're doing. So I don't know. I, I can't really say too many bad things about them other than the whole hissy fit beforehand. More to the point, at least they got the, tag, the women's tag team titles back on television. Again. If you're going to have the belts, fucking yeah. use them, right? Yep. Okay, uh, I believe we are up to Rey Mysterio live via satellite, and apparently Dominic is going to come in and stand up for Ray. The belief is that Ray's contract is up, and they might be working on renegotiating that. If I'm not mistaken, Dominic is under a developmental deal, so at least for the downtime until they decide what happens with Ray, I think I'm okay with Do- with uh, Dominic being kind of a a proxy for Ray in this regard. I know we saw something similar to that back with uh, Dominic with uh, Brock Lesnar, but it worked there. Why not here? 
Did it, though? <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the payoff at Survivor you know, Series, at least. I thought, I thought the Survivor Series match was entertaining for the eight minutes that it lasted. It's hard to make a full decision on this because, on one hand, you want every single debuting wrestler to have a good debut, and you want you want them to grow. You need new stars, right? And I don't want to put someone down before they even start. But I don't know. It just seems like a, a shoehorned-in idea, you know? Um, and it's against Seth Rollins. I mean, this is going to be another guy that Seth beats. I mean, you know, sure. I'm not opposed to the dude defending his dad. Maybe, you know what it is? It's Ray's inability to cut a promo. The dude is just poor guy. Because <laughs> you know what's funny is when I hear him talk, it's like, I know people that talk like that. So he may not even be faking, but it just comes off so stilted. It's very poor inflection on his part, I think. He puts in, he puts no, emphasis no, on the wrong very, very, It's very good inflection. It's just very bad delivery. It's just... <laughs> it's where he's putting the emphasis that's the problem. Um, yeah, but uh, you know what? Also, he's just a he's, he's a Mexican superhero, and he comes off as a Mexican superhero. You know, you know the the little like you know, damn you, Seth Rollins. Like it's so animated. It's so <laughs> curses. You know, it's hard to stay mad at him unless you're you know, Liz trying to drive his eye into the ring state in, in or dr- trying to drive his eye into the ring steps. Are you okay with Are you okay with Dominic stepping in at least as a temporary as a temporary hold over here? Like, what else do you really do with Dominic though as a singles performer? It's hard to say. I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't get paid to make that decision. But I don't. I'm not saying this is the wrong way. I just. It's just an interesting fold that I didn't necessarily think had to happen. You know what the big story about our next match is, Tony? Mm. She's not she's not mm. like most girls. Uh. I will give them credit for doing a really good job editing up whatever happened to Kyrie Sane, because if you didn't know, you probably wouldn't have been able to tell. I didn't know until I saw the photos um, after uh, Kyrie Sane tweeted. I can't say that I've seen the photos in question. I'll have to take a look for them on Twitter. Girl got gashed. Well, the belief is that she doesn't blame Naya for what happened, though, because she just clipped the edge of the ring steps when she went into them. I mean, it's one of those things where shit happens. It just it seems to happen a lot more often when Naya's involved. Yeah, it looks like, uh, it looks like Kyrie was unable to stop herself due to the force of the throw, and it really sucks, but, you know, what does what does Harry say when he quotes somebody that said it? Wrestling ain't ballet or something. Um, so it, it's hard. This one, you know, I I can point out actual instances where Nia is being negligent and dangerous. And although this probably shows more of a scar than anything else, I think this is just uh, you know a mishap. Still, don't want to see Nia on my screen. 
<laughs> don't I don't enjoy the promos. I don't like them. I don't like the delivery. I don't think that she's all that great. And again, I bring up the fact that you know AEW is on only a couple of days before, and they got a behemoth of a woman who, I mean, just is light years ahead, and she's not even that great. She's just way better. And they have an Asian woman who's their champion too. That's really good. Yeah, super good. And that was a good story. And they utilized the big person versus little person in a way that wasn't insulting. Well, if this was if this was too much Naya for you, well, I have bad news, Tony, because she comes out again during the end of the main of the the co-main event as Oscar takes on Charlotte, champion versus champion. It ends up costing Oscar the match because Oscar gets distracted by Nia's presence, dressed as Oscar, and Charlotte wins by countout. Yeah. Um, okay, so I know that the interrupting thing is a wrestling trope that goes beyond my life and will probably be around forever. For the most part, I'm I'm usually okay with it. It's only when it's not consistent with the characters that are involved that it bothers me, and I think tonight was one of them, especially considering the weight of the match that was going on. This is Charlotte versus Asuka, a WrestleMania match where both women have this big-ass chip on their shoulder, one who seemingly can beat Asuka at every turn, and the other one who is the empress, and she don't take shit from no one. They clash, and they put on a relatively good wrestling clinic. I mean, they, they, they did great, except for that questionable suplex that Charlotte hit. Um, so it was enjoyable. And then Nia comes out, and suddenly Asuka gets distracted, like to the point where she gets counted out. I'm not saying she should completely ignore Nia, because that's a presence that could really fuck you over, but just the way it happened. And Asuka, like, like why would that – I don't know. You know, when you look to wrestling lore as far as masks go in Mexican culture, it's a big deal. So when stuff like that happens with Ray's mask, I kind of like, I get it. I don't like it, but I get it. Um, also, a slight aside, where was Seth's trophy this week? The, the, uh, we didn't talk about it because we didn't have a show, but I was supposed to believe that that was the same mask or that was a, a, a prop that he was using. Where did he get it from? I don't know. Okay, anyways, it just really bugged me last week. So Naya wearing Asuka's mask, I don't know if that was traditionally insulting. I'll tell you what was, though, her mocking Japanese in the middle of the ring. That was kind of fucked up. <laughs> um, so I didn't like this whole segment. But I also had this mentality of Asuka needs to face somebody. Naya's on the roster. You might as well put them together. It just, I don't know, just kind of kind of lazy storytelling. I think Harry went away. Is that or you press the mute button? I press the mute button because I'm an idiot. I um, well, I'm over talking about Nile on the show. Like I'm done. Oh okay. It takes a lot cool. to get Let's go. it. It 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 takes a lot to get me to stop caring completely about somebody, and she has long since crossed that line. Well, she's not like most girls, so. Bite me, Tony. 
Uh, one thing that I wanted to discuss that we accidentally that I accidentally uh, overlooked was Randy Orton's promo setting up the match with Edge. I actually thought Orton did a really good job with this promo. He talks about the fact that Edge calls him entitled and that Orton's been resting on his laurel. And Randy calls his spade a spade and says, you're right. The thing about it is, is Randy's talented enough that he can do stuff like that and get away with it and still be considered one of the greatest ever. Whereas Edge had to fight and sweat and bleed for everything that he got in the company. I actually kind of like that twist to the character for the Orton character there. I mean... We've been saying this stuff for years about Orton being incredibly hit and miss when it comes to his in-ring performances here. But Orton kind of owning up to it here, I think, adds an element to the Orton character that um, that I think helps in the long-term telling of the story he has with Edge. Um, yeah, no, that promo was solid as fuck. I mean, I think I've cut the same promo on some people, actually, that my 70% is better than their 100%. Um, I, I kid. No, the the fact that he's like, I just wake up and I'm great. I mean, oh, just so good. It was, it was a solid promo um, that, I mean, the only aspect of this match that I don't enjoy is the fact that they're hyping it up to be the greatest wrestling match ever. And I'm pretty sure everybody's annoyed by that. But you're really booking yourself into a corner because I don't think you're going to pull that off, <laughs> first of all. Secondly, I don't think you should. I don't think you have to. You never had to say this. You never had to say it's going to be the greatest wrestling match ever. You just had to say we didn't wrestle. We had a ass-kicking contest. I won. We didn't wrestle. Let's fucking wrestle. Nobody anywhere told them this had to be the best wrestling match ever. It oh Man, it's going to bite him in the ass. Alright, I know it pisses you off when I fantasy book, but I have an idea here and I want to get your thought. Mm-hmm. All, all this hype for the greatest wrestling match ever, right? The bell rings. Okay. Orton kicks Edge square in the balls. And then lays the beating on him. So, so what does that lead to? You run it back down the road. It doesn't have to, I don't think these two have to have a wrestling match is my point when you start a feud with a last man standing match. I think this is Orton's way of suckering Edge in. Yeah, Did I no, say that, that about Katie and Otis? That has to lead to something. That can't be it. That can't be the end result. That is insulting my intelligence again. No, there there needs to be something after that. Like, I wouldn't be completely upset if that happened. I'd roll my eyes. I'd be like, all right, well, here we go. But that couldn't be the end of the story. Not with no, him trying and it to doesn't... kill him. No, and I'm not saying it's the end of the story. I didn't say that. What I said was, is you run it back just with another stipulation there, having another stipulated match rather than having it as a standard wrestling match. Because I think with the story that you've told so far, between these two, a standard wrestling match wasn't going to get the job done in resolving anything with these two anyway. Well, guess we'll see. Maybe, maybe you set them up for a cage match. Maybe you run it into hell in a cell.
either way, just an idea. Um, Gronk's no longer the 24-7 championship, so that belt might be back on Raw. Yay, I guess. Whatever. I, know you're I not do not want to see it. a black... I don't want to see a black man servicing a white man's house in this current climate, even as a joke. It just... It's, it's tone deaf. It's not that big of a deal, but it looked like he was an extra on the movie Get Out. I didn't... And then that title just... Everything about every segment ever to include this belt, I hate. Would it make you feel better if this was our truce idea? Oh, no, that's irrelevant. I don't care. I mean, it this everything sucks. Everything with that Chuck E. Cheese toy watch belt sucks. Your main event is Lashley, or is Lashley in the corner of MVP as MVP takes on Drew McIntyre. Lana kind of <clears throat> casually around ringside in order to watch MVP get his ass kicked. Yeah, that was super weird. Um, it felt like the timing was off. I'm like, well, did they run out of time? But then I realized it was a recorded show, so they could have fixed it. Um, Lana comes out to do nothing, not nothing at all, like n- nothing. <laughs> um, there was no, there, there was nothing there for her to do, I guess. Um, other than that, it was, you know, just to get us to next week. There wasn't anything offensive. Lashley got one up on Drew. Drew will probably get one up on him next week. Um, I'm interested in the match. Last week was not bad with the exception of, of course, a pull-apart brawl, um, which had a whole new added fold of me being upset about it because they put plexiglass up to keep the performers six feet away from the trainees, and then they all just rush out from behind there to break up two people who they hypothetically should give two shits about. Um, So tonight was a little, you know, more of a, punch in the face of Drew with a full Nelson and that that's fine but Lana being there just the less of her I see the better and yeah MVP's on fire let's talk about the way that we went off the air do you like the fact that they went off the air right as Lashley locked in, um, right as Lashley locked McIntyre in the full Nelson well no I'm telling you it, it felt like bad timing it felt like bad television um I'm not saying wrestling needs to be perfect, and some could argue you like the idea that you may miss out on something because ah. time's up. And we that's a wrestling trope that, that we haven't seen in a long time, um, especially with the runover that Raw used to have. But, you know, it was always kind of fun with the rest of the, with the announcer being like, that's all the time we have, folks, like, be sure to blah, blah, blah. And they have this, like, Raw talk thing that they're trying to do, so maybe they wanted you to hop on that almost immediately. It didn't work for me, but maybe it worked for them. Um, so yeah, I'm not totally upset about it. I'm cool with it. It just, they probably should do a better job with it next time because it came off simply that they didn't do it right. They they didn't do television right. There's a way to do it. And I don't think that they did it correctly. Okay. So you were specifically talking about the fact that it, it wasn't so much that Lashley put McIntyre in the phone Nelson. It's that they they went off the air right as he did it without any kind of follow up to it. Yeah, I like that he put it on. I like that he put it on at the end. Um, um, just the awkward timing, that's all. Okay, that makes sense. I was a little confused by how you meant that originally, and 
it's a little confusing with the wording for um, inside of your review as well. Where, where, where can people read your review for tonight's episode of Raw, by the way, Tony? 411mania.com in the wrestling section. Um, I'm pretty much all over that place now. <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know, I don't ask for forgiveness. I don't ask for understanding or anything like that with the report, mainly because it's done during Raw. I have no time to sit down and think of whether my opinion was incorrect or correct. It is literally an off-the-cuff immediate reaction review that the only chance I get to summarize everything is literally at the end of the show when I summarize everything. Um, So I take every and all criticism. There's a comment section, and I love responding to people, and I love interacting with people. Um, Just be aware that I, I respect criticism, but if I feel you're wrong, I'm going to tell you. <clears throat> for I'll give you an example, somebody kind of opened my eyes to the idea of Kevin Owens, rightfully so, being upset that, you know, these two guys interrupted his match, making the, the match was over. So why would he, he's not going to get like a restart or anything. So that's the kind of stuff I really enjoy receiving as feedback because, you know what, that makes sense. And you're right. Maybe I did respond a little incorrectly there. But, um, yeah, go read it. Okay, I just wanted to let people know where they could actually read the physical edition of the version of the report that we're talking about. That wraps us up for this week's episode of Monday Night Raw. Tony, you ready to put a final reaction on this show? Yep. All right, we already gave you our SmackDown ratings, but we are going to combine everything else into the other segments that we do as we traditionally do for the finals here. So let's start with the rating for Raw. I believe I gave it a six. Um, that is correct. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Just there was a lot more bad than there was good. The wrestling that was good was not nearly as present as SmackDown. You know, like so. Yep, it was a low six. <laughs> that seems to be the consistent, uh, the consistent way things <clears throat> work out, though, when it comes to the actual in-ring uh, competition. Ever since. Ever since they've gone to this PC setting here with the fact that they have less of an audience now that they have a small audience, and then back to the point where they had no audiences, SmackDown was always a much easier watch just because of the shorter time frame given the, given the current climate we find wrestling in right now. Mm-hmm. Favorite match or moment from the week? Um, I mean, Sasha versus Alexa Bliss, obviously. I'm going to go with Alistair and Seth, although I do think that it could have been better, just given the fact that we had as many commercial breaks during the course of this match. That is the only reason I wanted this match on pay-per-view rather than television, because I feel like the commercial breaks hurt the flow of the story that they were trying to build to win this match here. I would have been perfectly okay with this exact match without the commercial breaks in order to break up the action happening on pay-per-view. Yeah, it does take a little out of it. Um, least favorite match or moment? You're Greg Watchery for the week. I think I know where this one's going. Um, yeah, Jeff Hardy, for sure. Just the whole segment was garbage. Anything and everything related to Nia Jax. Fucker. Just in general. Um, who's your MVP for the week, Tony? Um, I 
Drew Gulak, welcome back. <laughs> I'm going to give my MVP to Matt Riddle for this call-up. I think the guy has superstar potential, assuming he can keep his attitude in check. Reports are is that he's made some pretty powerful enemies already in the WWE, and that's not exactly a great way to get his run his run started. Ah, uh, good. Those are the most fun. Like, apparently, Lesnar has outright refused to work with Riddle, despite the fact that Riddle's been calling him out on Twitter for, like, a year now. Bro. Bro. Barrel. Barrel, barrel. If you could give one message to the American people in general attend the show tonight, what would it be? I love you. His was three words. Mine's only two. Be better. As human beings, we have to be better. We have to find a way to be better than we were yesterday today and better tomorrow than we were today. Stay safe out there, everybody. On behalf of Tony Acero, I'm Harry Broadhurst. This has been The Reaction here on the Chairshot Radio Network. We'll see you guys next Monday night with our preview for Backlash here on The Reaction, a presentation of the Chairshot Radio Network online at thechairshot.com. Deuces, bitches. Yeah, what he said. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.